Good evening, fans. Tim Kittrow here, the voice of NBA Jam. And you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by CodeWritePlay.com. Boom shakalaka. My mom gave birth in 1985. I was bluer than a Pac-Man ghost, barely alive. In the Cold War, my only blanket was Tetris. I played Rampart with Reagan Rampage, the world for breakfast. The laundry mat was my sanctuary. That arcade was Hey, everybody. Todd Mitchell here. Welcome back to Game Dev Breakdown. Have we got a special show for you tonight? The answer is, uh, I hope so. Because we have a topic recommended by a member of the extended Game Dev Breakdown community. Not a current listener, a soon listener, because he knows we're going to talk about his topic. His handle is P-O-Z-Z-I Soft. That's part of his last name. I don't know if it's pronounced Posy, Potsy, Posy, Potsy, or even Posy or Potsy. <laughs> I bet it's not Potsy. I choose to refer to him as Potsy Soft, but it's definitely one of those seven pronunciations or so. Uh, no, really, uh, he brought up a great topic because he's got an RPG in development. Well, I guess done with development at this point because he is about to release his game on Steam next week. So congrats to you. Welcome to the listenership. The listenership. (laughs) One word, not two. Uh, good luck with your launch. The situation is that he says he's been hearing conflicting advice about pricing. We've probably all heard conflicting advice about pricing, and maybe you never thought about it until just now. I hadn't really thought much about it either, and I've been through this process because I've released a game. We'll talk about that in a moment. His situation is, he has a price in mind. He has a strategy in mind. He knows what he's going to do. And he saw a YouTube video, and it kind of shook his confidence a little bit. In this video, a player played a game that he enjoyed, liked the game, It was in beta. He played it for like three hours, said it worked fine. And at the end, he goes, I would estimate that this game is worth about $1. And it was in development for 18 months. You know how it goes. You know how players are. You know how consumers are. So do I. So we're going to talk about that. Is there a best strategy for pricing your game? Is there a way to compete? Is there a way to take player attention off of other games in your space? Is there a way to stand out? Or are you destined for failure? You're probably not destined for failure. So let's talk about your best chance to do well. Let's talk about my experience. And then we're going to talk about people much smarter and much more successful than me in this area. So my experience, my first commercial game, it came about, sorry to those of you who have heard this story before, but it really, it, it, it applies here. We have to talk about it here. So when my son was much younger, long story short, I created a little prototype for him to play with so that he could learn letters and numbers. He was ready early, and the toys that he had were not sort of serving him. The age-appropriate toys were harder for him because he was younger than that, but he was ready to learn that stuff. So I put together a prototype to teach him letters and numbers on my phone, and it worked really well. And I thought, hey, I'm here trying to have a go as an indie developer. Let me invest a few months turn this into a product, and see what I can do. Let's let's get my foot in the door here, dip my toe in the water, and see if we can do something with this. So I did. I put in that time, and a few months turned into six months, give or take. And it was a lot of work. As you know, any game's a lot of work. And I came to the point where I went, okay, this is going out on iOS and Android 
and I I think I got it on Fire Tablets also. I don't remember. It worked on Fire Tablets because that's how I did playtesting. So I had to decide how to price this thing. And at that time, we the truth is we had really just moved out of the dollar app era, but I still felt like that was a really good price point for what I was doing. I didn't I, I felt like I couldn't give it away for free and then try to like advertise because it was for young kids, like kids under five. I don't think you were even allowed to advertise to kids under five. I say that, but then when I loaded other apps for my son, they all had ads. And I mean, there were ads geared toward children. I feel weird about that. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do business with the parents. Give me a dollar, please. Thank you. Here's your app. And they could hand their phone to their kid and hopefully monitor the child with the app. Great. I, I My hope was that it was a game that parents would play with their kids to teach them. It That part of the business model does not matter here. But I felt like a dollar was a good way to get payment up front, not have to worry about monetizing that after conversion. And, you know, I hoped word of mouth uh, would catch on. I hoped some presentations I gave to teachers and schools and online talks that I gave, which were like tiny mini TED Talks on a lesser scale, obviously, but through through big giant Facebook groups full of hundreds of teachers and educators and stuff, I really put some time in <laughs> trying to promote this. And I've, I've talked about this in previous episodes. Ask me about it if you don't want to dig back through. I'll tell you whatever you want to know. But so that was all to push this $1 app. What I found was nobody wants to pay for dollar apps anymore. <laughs> The app did okay. Like, I had some users, but people love sharing stories about complaints they get from people who don't want to pay for their apps. I had those. My favorite one was I let my app be known about, and one person came back to me and said, you know, if you're going to charge a dollar for this, I wish it would teach letters and numbers in more than just English. How many languages would you like me to teach your child for a dollar? Is my question. Anyway, that's to say that I, I went the very cheap route, and I think that's the classic indie mistake, right? I think that's, and maybe you're just hearing for the first time that that's a mistake. That's going to be your first spoiler alert there. But underpricing yourself doesn't turn out to be great. I put out a dollar app and it tanked. I sold less than $100 worth. I did not sell enough units of that app to get checks cut from Apple and Google. I think I could have gotten it from Google. Google, but it was like so little revenue. I was like, just sit on it. I'll do something else. We'll get a bigger check down the line. And I mean, I, I tried other things. I, I did more talks. I tried some uh, pay-per-click ads. I set up special bulk licensing. I set up discounts on my $1 app. If you bulk licensed for like your school or your organization, no one ever a school I went to and spent an entire day presenting to multiple classrooms and letting kids play test and stuff. They were like, oh, well, we'll definitely, I'll take this to the school board. We will definitely do some bulk licensing for this. And that'll be, no, no one, not one time. And the app was relatively popular. It got good reviews, got good feedback, got a great endorsement from Mitchell Kriegman, who um, created uh, Bear in the Big Blue House. And he was a connection I had from my journalism days. Like I set it up for success and it just didn't succeed. My point here is that underpricing myself did not turn out to be a silver bullet for like ABC mouse and all this other stuff. And a lot of educational products are overpriced. So this was kind of like indie game, hard difficulty, 
where I didn't have nearly as many options as other indies have not to complain. My point is, that was my experience. So if, I, if I'm going to present something valuable to you, I had to research and get smarter opinions, better philosophies, had to hear from people more experienced who had moved more units. So I started with this by getting a feel for people on Twitter, on Reddit. I created posts everywhere I could. I wanted to hear from people, and I got a lot of ideas. My strategy here, again, not to fully definitively answer this question for you forever. I don't know what your game is. I don't know what your goal is for the game or what your business model is for your studio. Maybe you just need to get a game out there and get it seen. That's got a different strategy. Maybe you need, maybe you got bills to pay. Maybe you've got growth to do for your studio. Those are all different situations. So my point is, this is Game Dev Talk, right? That's the, that is the slogan. That's the catchphrase for this podcast. So we're going to talk about it. Hopefully get you in the right headspace. Look at some directions, plant some seeds, whatever you want to call it. We're going to get into that headspace right now. So I ask people on social, I say, if you've done this, if you've had any degree of success, let's talk about it. What were the videos you watched? What were the articles you read? What did you do before you landed on a price point? And how did that go? And I swear, (laughs) for one thing, the call for resources did not bring back much. Not many people went like, I watched this, I read this, I listened to this. This was helpful. I didn't get a lot of that, honestly. One person gave me the most Reddit answer of all time. I like Reddit. I especially like the game dev group. But someone gave me such a Reddit answer. It was like, uh, there, I, I have uh, spent a lot of time with this. I've had to do this. And I looked at some articles. And you're going to have to go find those for yourself. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> Look, and he said, like, you should, be, you should be verifying this independently yourself. Okay, right. That doesn't mean, I'm, that doesn't mean you shouldn't give someone a source. Why spend your time commenting at all? Anyway, some users came into this and said they felt there were certain go-to price points. Certainly that's true. If you think about AAA releases, what do they cost? $60. Sometimes somebody will buck the trend or they have like a primarily online game. We've mentioned this recently. And they'll go $40. Overwatch was like that. If you want to play on Xbox, you could pay $40 and play, you know, play online. But the point was... So you've got these sort of tent post price points and you can look at those and go, what's at this price point? What does my game look like feature wise, quality wise next to these? Which one of these tent posts do I need to go near? Okay, fine. That's, I mean, that's sound strategy. Nothing wrong with that, right? Somebody made a great contribution and said that uh, you need to think about target audience in terms of kids are very demanding, like younger players. They're also broke. Generally. I was broke. I was a broke kid. I have no problem saying that. Adults, a little more understanding, especially when you give them exactly what they want and they have more discretionary income. If you listen to my interview with Richard Rouse, who did The Suffering, worked for Midway back in the day, released uh, The Church in the Darkness more recently, which I think just went to Switch not too long ago. He said almost exactly this. He said, basically, kids have less money. Adults have less time. You have to know who you're making stuff for. You have to know who you're pricing stuff for. Okay, fair enough. There are things you can determine about who you believe is your target audience and who you believe you'll be most successful with. Nothing wrong with that. Some people seem to think you can send an exact specific message with your price point alone. I don't know. I think there's. I think if you go for that AAA $60 price point, 
people are going to at least know you're very, very confident in what you're releasing. Fair enough. But almost any other price point, I think that gets difficult. Like one developer's $9 game might be intending to say, this is a small game, but we think it's a lot of fun. Maybe another developer calls their $9 game something that was supposed to be like $15, but something went wrong during development. You see what I mean? This is a sliding scale. So when this whole discussion was pretty inconclusive on social media, now I appreciate everybody who came into that discussion. I really enjoyed following that post on Reddit for a couple of days, on Twitter for a couple of days. Most everyone had pretty compelling stuff to say, and only a couple of people were complete assholes. So I take my research elsewhere, right? There was a recent article on gamesindustry.biz by Marie D'Alessandri, who is an Academy writer, which means that's part of their sort of uh, boot camp type series or, or whatever they, they are doing. But uh, I will drop a link in the show notes because this was a long, very good article that rounded up a ton of great quotes on this from studio founders. They got uh, Tom, man, so many hard names, Tom Giardino, Giardino <laughs> of Valve, whose title is, this is funny because he lists on LinkedIn, um, the writer of this article does not give his exact business position. So I looked him up and on LinkedIn, he says his position is, quote, steam business, steam business. Somewhere else I found, he says he's in business development and marketing. Okay, so he's somebody who knows what's going on at Valve. That's great. I would encourage people interested in this to go through this article. It's it's about pricing your game for success, particularly as it pertains to Steam sales, like sales events. So it's kind of from that angle, but there's so much great material here. I'm going to go through some of these quotes because it's it's just quote after quote after quote, and I love this. And it's not the only thing I looked at, but for pricing 101 and for sort of an introductory discussion on this topic, I think this is a great place to start. And based on the feedback I get, follow-up questions, things like that, we could do a more advanced thing. I'm, I just, I'm trying to be very careful not to present this like, I spent less than 40, 48 hours on learning how to price your game, and now I'm an expert and I know better than you. I don't. I do not. If I had to price my own game again tomorrow, I would be screwed again like I was the last time. I would be researching just like you guys, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend that because I have a podcast, I know this better than you. That's stupid. You know better. If I've ever pretended other otherwise on this show, it was unintentional. This is discussion, right? But I found this article, and it was a great read. So I want to share some of these quotes. The first one is from the aforementioned Tom Giardino of Valve. And he says, there is no single correct discounting strategy. And again, we're talking about like sales and stuff, but he, but here's where it applies to non-sales. Developers make all the pricing decisions on Steam, and we have seen them achieve success with wildly different strategies. Some very successful games on Steam have never even run a discount. Others have found success via more aggressive early price reductions. For a developer's own decision-making, we recommend thinking about discounts as one of many tools to bring in new players. So again, that's a little bit of a sale-heavy quote, but notice what he says there. We've seen developers achieve success with wildly different strategies, and some very successful games on Steam have never run a discount. He says popular full-price games 
will hold steady on the top sellers list right through a sale. So like you're talking about summer sales, holiday sales, there are Steam games that are killers. They stay on the top seller list whether there's a sale going on or not. So that means, to me, that tells me that good pricing is probably tied a lot more to the quality of your game, the replayability, the playability in the first place, hours you're going to spend with this product. There's a strong argument you can focus on that and not much else and probably be okay. It's another good quote from Simon Byron, publishing director at Curve Digital, who says, whatever you do, don't launch a new game anywhere remotely close to Steam sales because actual purchases dive a couple of weeks before and after sales as people sort of like empty their wallets during those events. Let's get back to pure pricing issues. Mike Rose, founder of No More Robots, says, A lot of people just price their games too low. I've always thought Lucas Pope priced papers, please. I didn't realize what a tongue twister that was. Let's do that again. I've always thought Lucas Pope priced papers, please, way too low. It says $10 is absolutely ridiculous for a game like that. That game is a $20 game. So that's interesting. That's a founder of a studio looking at another example and going, that developer deserved more money. Enjoy basketball, soccer, and all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using bonus code CAPITAL and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Plus, when you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, player props, and daily boosted odds specials. Download the BetMGM app today or go to BetMGM.com and enter bonus code CAPITAL and place your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. $1,000. Now you're winning with the king of sportsbooks. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Here's a, another quote from Michael Shade, CEO or Shad. Could be either one. Uh, bad with names. CEO of the Everspace development studio Rockfish Games, and they developed and published Everspace. He says, If nobody complains about your price, you're too cheap. Instead of binge-watching Netflix, watch every talk from Simon Sinek. This will help you understand how to sell your product and how you build a successful business in the long term. Now, I read that. I actually find that extremely condescending. When he says that, I'm sorry, if you are providing for yourself during the day, you've developed a game at night, I find it extremely unlikely that you're also binge-watching Netflix. Furthermore, indies are not underpricing themselves because they're stupid and that they're not trying to educate themselves. They're underpricing themselves because they're trying to compete in an oversaturated market. And this kind of flimsy connection he makes to Simon Sinek and, and I'm I'm not a fan of that guy. I think he's kind of a blowhard. And he's always in these super viral videos all over Facebook. And every time I watch one, I'm like never impressed by what he says. Here's how to work with millennials. Millennials don't think right. And you've got to shut up. I can't stand that. I can't stand crap like that. Okay, so anyway, this, this flimsy connection to Simon Sinek here. He said, every product in every market is a bell curve. 
And what he means is if you're looking at a bell curve chart and that chart is your lifetime sales, it starts low, goes up, comes back down. You know what a bell bell curve is. And if you, if you don't for any reason, just you, you can Google that and you can see the, the shape. You'll understand. His point is that on the chart of your lifetime sales, you have early adopters that ramp up slowly and then that leads to the vast majority of your sales that make up the highest part of the curve and then you have it slope down over time. So Simon says you're only really, mar- Simon says, he says you're only really marketing to your early adopters, like your biggest fans and supporters who are going to buy on launch day. And then you rely on their word of mouth and the people around them taking notice And that's the way you do most of your business. So Michael's connection to that is he's saying it doesn't really matter if you have a low price or not because your supporters are going to support you. Okay, now, I think that was an abrasive quote. I think he's got a terrible attitude. (laughs) And I think he's made a bad argument here. First of all, it's important to point out that Simon did not say this about games or digital products. He probably doesn't know anything about games. This isn't really how games work. Games are often very launch heavy, right? If you don't have a big launch, you're hurting right away. And if you only have a small number of people support you at launch, you're actually pretty screwed. So you're not gradually putting a line of bath towels out into the retail world. You're hoping a crap load of players buy your game on launch day and that you take over the sales charts and that the featured store pages feature your game this really doesn't look like a bell curve at any point. And Michael knows this. They did a big launch. They participated in sporadic sales and bundles. And I think they went on Game Pass. And they got whatever revenue they agreed on behind closed doors there. And and he... <laughs> so that chart looks sky high at launch. Drops to nothing. Jumps back up. Drops to nothing. Every time there's a sale or an initiative... So that those sales are all over the place. This bell curve thing does not apply. Second, even if what he was saying was true, of course it matters what your price is. If you don't think your early supporter group changes based on your price, you're very wrong. And then it's important again when the word of mouth starts. And this is not exclusive to indie games. So like when Overwatch came out and I had friends playing it, I didn't especially care about it. It didn't look that interesting to me. It's not, not my thing. So I was right on the fence, and when I saw it was only $40 on Xbox instead of 60 I went, all right, fine. I can play with my friends, and maybe we'll have fun. So I bought it. If it was $60, I would have skipped it. I wouldn't. I, like, my, my personal line somewhere was probably at, like, 45 bucks. I didn't care enough. Buyers really do have a sweet spot, no matter how much you think they're, they support you. And you have to find the biggest audience's sweet spot if you want to succeed. So, um, fine. His advice was just not for me. Back to uh, Simon Byron from Curve Digital. He, uh, he addresses a strategy that pops up a lot in this discussion, which is the strategy of pricing higher than you normally would and then discounting when you're hoping to get the bulk of your sales. So if anyone buys at a full price, great. And then you're thinking ahead to when you do put your game on sale, what do you want to make at that time? Uh, basically, he says that's important. I'll let you read some of what he says. This is a long, long article. But uh, the, in short, he, he basically says that's what you need to focus on. Uh, Jake Burkett of Gray Alien Games, he's the founder, says uh, one mistake some indies make is to price their game based on the amount of effort they have put in 
Instead, they should look at prices for comparable games in the same genre and use these as a guide. I think that's a good quote. I personally think, and this is mostly instinct, I feel like more important than that might be to, instead of looking at the time you poured into your game, look at your own game that resulted from that work. Uh, you don't get to put a st- well, I guess you could put a sticker on your box that said how many hours you worked on it. That'd be interesting, right? Just as <laughs> just as a matter of trivia, like, oh, this is nine hours, or this is like 4,000 hours. Point is, don't think about that number. Think about the resulting game. You, I mean, it's hard for developers to be objective about their own games. And uh, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, but one of my biggest pieces of advice One of the smartest things I've seen personally, you know, we talked, even in the last episode, we talked about how you absolutely have to have play testers test your game. People who are not, people who don't necessarily care about your feelings, people who are gamers who are, who would be likely to play this game and buy it. So have play testers play the game who are not developers, don't care about your feelings. And when they're done, ask them, how much do you think we're going to charge for this? If you had to guess right now. How much would you pay for it if it was on sale today? And I'm not saying you have to be bound by that number, but you should pay a lot of attention to that number. That number is important. That's one of the better ways I think you can get a feel for what people would pay uh, by asking them, right? So that's critical. Mike Rose, who we mentioned of uh, No More Robots, he, he says later in the article, the fact is if your game does do well, then you are going to be appearing in the more like this section on Steam, and uh, again, this article this article is totally Steam dependent, but uh, that's a big, big focus point for non-console developers, right? So players are going to be comparing prices there. If all the games that are doing well in a similar similar genre to yours are twenty dollars, then it's fair to say that you can probably charge twenty dollars for your game. The number twenty dollars comes up a lot in this article. A lot of these indie studios who are relatively big, relatively successful, they bring up the number $20 a lot. So you know if you have a $20 game, later on one of them says, if you're thinking about exceeding the $20 point, you need to think really hard about it and you need to have a very good reason. So if you're you're sitting here listening to this and going, I can't believe you're not giving more concrete numbers, there's one. Understand what's going on at that $20 limit. And if you exceed it, it should probably just be so you can discount it often. A big takeaway here is like, recognize that games can sell up to their potential. You know, you don't have to underprice yourself just because you're new or you're indie. Uh, You know if you have a quality game or not. And people can figure that out. And sometimes they can figure it out without playing it. Like if it doesn't look like it should, or doesn't sound like it should, if the trailer sucks. These are all red flags. Like, if you're not giving people red flags, you can charge an appropriate price. You know, you can't go like, my time was worth $45 an hour during development. So that times whatever means, you know, you don't get to do that. But this is a a competitor-driven and product-driven thing. So, you know, if you've got a $20 game, ask for $20. The big takeaway is don't sell yourself short just because you're selling. Because I don't want that to be the only thing I offer here, something I would encourage you guys to read up on is outside the game industry, learn more about pricing strategies. 
Because again, game industry, pretty much newest industry. So we've, we've still got a lot we can learn from outside games. So if you look at general pricing strategies, for one thing, it, it would be hard for me to get too far into them even in a series of episodes because this is a broad category that involves economics, marketing, deep business categories. Like it's, it's very interesting to me, but I'm, again, I'm not going to be a genius at this in a short period of time. Like if I, not just as a studio, if I succeeded as a publisher and got to that point, you can bet I would spend a lot of my free time reading up on this and learning these strategies and what works for what products. But there are very good articles like this one at HubSpot. If you just search for pricing strategy on Google, this popped up for me very fast. And it goes through types of pricing strategies, pricing models based on industry or business, and pricing strategy examples. That's a great article. And let me just run you through a couple of the pricing strategies they talk about. So, <laughs> ah, competition-based pricing strategy is one. Now that should sound familiar already. Competition-based pricing is also known as competitive pricing or competitor-based pricing. This pricing strategy focuses on the existing market rate for a company's product or service. It doesn't take into account the cost of their product or consumer demand. Instead, a competition-based pricing strategy uses the competitor's prices as a benchmark. Businesses who compete in a highly saturated space may choose this strategy since a slight price difference may be the deciding factor for customers. Immediately sounds familiar, right? This is why I tell everybody when you've got any sort of even remotely business-related issue in your development stuff, immediately go outside the industry and see what the traditional wisdom there is. Because we have new problems, but not really. Not We don't have stuff that no one's got figured out. And that's why when big publishers have their suit clad and dress clad professionals come in and screw stuff up it's confusing to me because like you're this is the stuff you're supposed to know you're not supposed to know game development they want to come in and act like they know game development you should do this in the game and you should program it this way come in here with the pricing strategy right this is the kind of stuff we rely on other business developers for but fine so like this article again goes through fantastic stuff and then near the end it talks about pricing models and one of those pricing models is digital product pricing model okay so that's us and it, it goes into which pricing strategies it recommends for that model so uh, the pricing model says digital products like software online courses and digital books require a different approach to pricing because there's no tangible offering or unit economics Instead, prices should reflect your brand, industry, and overall value of your product. Those concepts sound familiar too. It says, we recommend using these pricing strategies when pricing digital products. Competition-based pricing, which I just read about. Freemium pricing, you know the word freemium. And value-based pricing. Just for fun, let's go back to value-based pricing and see what it had to say. A value-based pricing strategy is when companies price their products or services based on what the customer is willing to pay. We just talked about that. Even if they can charge more for a product, they decide to set their prices based on consumer interest and data. If used accurately, value-based pricing can boost your customer sentiment and loyalty. That's nice. 
it can also help you prioritize your customers in other facets of your business less nice, like marketing and service. So, okay, you don't have to have an MBA for this. You can just do basic research. And again, this also is not going to give you the very detailed, down to the sense price that you should price your game. But if you really want to dive into this stuff, there's a lot of great material out there for free, of course, and you can learn as much as you want and become as confident as you want in your own ability to set your own price. Sometimes you're going to get it wrong. Your first time, you might get it wrong. I sure did. Some of you guys did. But again, this is, this is a little bit art, a little bit science. So I strongly recommend, again, have people play test your game and then ask them, what would you pay for this? What should we charge for this? What would you pay for it today? Do know what your competitors are doing. I think that's, I think that's reasonable. But also recognize that you and your competitors have different products. You know, just because there's a competitor that you look at, when I say competitor, you need to look at a game that isn't just like what you want your game to be. Try to find one close to what, what you think your game actually is. This is another situation where I recommend looking at those reviews. So don't just know what the competitor priced their game. Go look at the players who played it, came back, and left a review, and find out if they came back and said this was way overpriced, or this was a great deal, I'm so glad I picked this up. That, in a way, that kind of means this was priced right. Nobody's going to come back and say, I should have paid more for this. Now, I stumbled upon an article full of stuff related partially to uh, what to do during sales events, but I think there were some pretty sound strategies there. Pricing high and being ready for uh, marking down during sales, it's a good idea. Some people say like you should price it sky high and always have it on sale. I don't know if that's good. I, f I feel like people see right through that. People do track games over time. I do. <laughs> I'm not especially cheap, but there are games that, again, I, I look at like, I'd love to play that. I don't want to play it $60 worth, so I'm going to watch it for a while. And it's interesting to see over time what they do, you know? Because sometimes they'll hit a sale and they still don't really like $55. Like, you still haven't got me. You know what I mean. So uh, treat players with respect. <laughs> don't insult their intelligence with your price. Don't say it's $120, but mark down to $30 for today only. That's silly. But use your head. The most important thing. The most important thing. Be honest with yourself. Because by extension, you will be being honest with your players and your customers. If you have an A-quality game, it's okay to charge for it. Now, if you completed a game and you worked super hard and you feel like it's not fair if you don't charge 20, 25, 30 bucks for it, but the quality's not there, you're asking for trouble. It's not going to work out. So be very honest with yourself. If it didn't quite hit the quality mark, I'm not necessarily saying you need to charge less. You might need to stop and fix something, right? It's not, it's not popular, but... You know, you don't work for EA. Ooh, that was an unnecessary swing at EA. You don't work for a big publisher who shall remain nameless. You don't have to put out a game that doesn't work. You know what You know what I'm mad about? There is a huge bug in Squadrons right now. It's one of the first higher-priced games I bought in a while. And the tutorial, the very first thing you do in, in the online matches, you play this tutorial to learn how to play this game... It goes through all these little things you have to do during the space battle. 
and then you go try to take down the big ship. And if you've lost a life at some point during this tutorial, which is pretty likely the first time you play it, the big ship gets all the way down. Like you knock the shields out, you knock the different systems out. You get this hole down to 1% and then it will never blow up. And you can never get credit for finishing the tutorial. That is such a terrible bug to launch with. Are you kidding me? So yeah, I, I take back my apology. I'm, I'm very upset with EA right now. Point is, that doesn't have to be you. You don't have to put out a game that's not ready. So, I'm not going to preach at you anymore about that. This is the 101. It's not, this was not even really a guide. You, you know that. This is talk. This, these, are, these are things I researched over the last couple of days. Things I've been thinking about for future products of my own. And if you've been through this process and you, you found a price point that really worked for you, had a success story afterwards, I'd love to hear that. If you know better than me, that's exactly what I wanted. No one's going to hurt my feelings by going like, you're off the mark here, here's what it was. Or there is a definitive answer, here's what it is. Bring it on. That's what I asked for from day, day one. I'm no expert at this. But it was a lot of fun to go back and look at like the latest quotes about this and the latest uh, articles that have come out because this stuff changes all the time too, right? So you kind of have to track it like a hawk. You have to watch it all the time and see who's succeeding here, who's doing well with it. So that's the first time we've talked about pricing specifically on the podcast in over 100 episodes has never come up before. And that's because I've only had to do it once. Looking back, I don't think I did it very well. Even if the marketing was on point, like that price did not treat me well. Don't do what I did. Don't put out your dollar game. Especially now. Mobile has moved past that. But that's it. So let me know what your thoughts are. And if there's demand for this, if you guys have a more specific direction you want to go in, in talking about this, or you know other platforms other than Steam, consoles, I don't care. Like, look how easy this was. Somebody went, talk about pricing. I said, okay. Really, like that's it. I'm running the podcast. This is a service to you people, you listeners, you developers, you creators, gamers, friends, my brother-in-law's neighbor. My brother-in-law very kindly recommended my podcast to his uh, neighbor's kids. And that's specific enough that if you're listening and you know that story's about you, welcome. <laughs> that's all I got. This, is, this episode is much too long. So... If you enjoy the Game Dev Breakdown podcast, I would love for you to consider subscribing somewhere, anywhere. Feel free to leave a rating or a review or some feedback. All that stuff helps. Helps me get the word out. I'm always looking for times in my schedule when I can get back to interviewing, bringing in guests and stuff. Right now it's hard, so we're going with the talk format. Again, I'm going to bring some friends of the show back who can hang out with me late when I can get into the office and record. Uh, anyway... We have a Discord server you can join. Look for CodeWritePlay, which is the uh, name of my Shop Talk website where we do all this. And this is a companion podcast to that website. Look for show notes there. You can find uh, CodeWritePlay or GameDevPod on Twitter. I am at MechaToddZilla on Twitter, 1D, 2Ls. I really, really enjoy talking about this stuff with you guys. I have a lot of fun that way. And as you've seen, I'm more than happy to get topics that way and I will do my best to address them again it's just discussion it's just for fun and uh, you all are part of that so let's iterate let's discover let's trade secrets not really secrets 
this is just all, all experience and learning and mistakes and uh, improving the next time out. So um, that's it for this time. I will be back with more fun stuff next week. And I hope everyone has a good one. Good luck, Soft, with your uh, release next week. Let us know how it goes. We are all rooting for you. Check out his uh, Twitter account. Check out his game. Maybe uh, maybe it's something you'd like. So uh, anyway, in the meantime, Todd Mitchell here. That's it for me. And uh, thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.